And now I'll invite Clay to come up. Clay Corver worked here on staff for three years from 2017 to 2020. Yep. Okay. And his wife Kelly's here. They have two gorgeous girls uh, as well. And I'm just really excited to have him back and have him, him teaching. So I'm going to say a brief prayer and then just turn it over to you. Sounds good. All right. All right. God, thank you for this man that's full of love. I thank you that we have loved him. We have loved his family. We love them with us. And I thank you for the way he loved, loved us and loves us. And I thank you that he loves you and that he knows of your love. And I pray that that would come through today, that we would receive from you your love and also more specifically what you want to say to us through your word, by your spirit, and through this man. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Andrew. I haven't talked to you in a little while, so I have about two hours of stuff to do. So buckle up. Here we go. I told the children people already, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I would be serious. I actually had to cut a lot of stuff today. I want to let you know, though, uh, what I like to do is uh, if I'm going to ask you to do something on the back end of the service, I want to tell you on the front end, so the Holy Spirit can kind of till the soil and mess you up a little bit. So you feel like, I kind of have to do it now. He, does, he, he kind of does that work. So today we're going to end, just so you know, we're going to be lifting other people up in prayer. We're all going to pray out loud, and then we're all going to lift them up in worship. Okay? That's what we're going to do to end today. Other people. All right? I just want you to know so you're kind of ready. Okay? Um, before we get into the message, I have to say, uh, I just want to honor what you guys are doing in this series, Gentle and Lowly. I read it like a year ago, and I love it. And it was so fun. So I'm a big, so I love Exodus 34, 6 through 7. That's where God gives his own self-description. And I learned in this book that, right, Jesus gives his self-description. I did not know that. I just learned this. 89 chapters, one place, Jesus says, this is my heart. This is why I do things. This is where it comes from. I'm gentle and I'm humble. And so I get excited about things, as some of you might know. And so I was telling everybody about this. So I was talking to other Christians, other people who believe in Jesus, and I would say, Jesus said one time he's gentle and he's humble from his heart. And he would say stuff like, out of the overflow of the heart we speak. Out of the overflow of the heart we act. From this deep, deep place, we make all of our decisions. And Jesus says that he's gentle and he's humble. So I would tell people this, really excited. And they would, it was really interesting, they would, people who love Jesus, and they never disagreed with me, but they would always redirect me immediately. Right? Jesus, yeah, sure, gentle and humble, but Jesus is all about love. I'm like, you're right, he is. No, Jesus is all about uh, forgiveness. He's like, you're right, he is. Jesus leaves the 99 to get the one. You're right, he does. Jesus came to flip the tables of the institutions and change the world. He did do all those things. And then the conversation would end, and I think we never talked about Jesus being gentle and humble why not? So I think this is hard. So you're spending weeks talking about the heart of Jesus. The whole Sermon on the Mount is about what is formed within us. His most famous sermon comes out of us. So I just want to honor Andrew and your leadership and your elders. I can't imagine, if you're reading this book and taking this seriously, what is, things are happening in your houses, your neighborhoods, your schools, the community, the region. If we are becoming gentle and humble, the kingdom is coming. So good job. I'm starting with that. All right. We're going to move into today's topic, though. Sorry, I had to say that. I just get really excited. 
But uh, the title for today is His, heart is, uh, comf- is, His Heart is for Comforting the Afflicted. There are two verses. This is chapter 14 and 15. Um, the first one is 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Yep. Uh, His heart, the, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Nope, I wrote that wrong. That's what it's supposed to say. And the second one is He does not willingly bring affliction. So this is chapter 14 and 15. And as I was preparing for today, I felt led to flip the order. I want to talk about affliction for a while because we don't like to talk about it. I don't like to talk about it. And I think if I, can't, if I can't talk about, deal with the things that afflict me in life, I will never really experience the comfort of God. And the word comfort is a little different than I would think. So we're going to talk about that. My sentence for today is this. Affliction, when accompanied by plus the comfort of God, it grows us down. Affliction and his comfort grows us down, and then it grows us out. So you're going to see in the passage today, in all three, there's affliction. God comes alongside us, and he says, I'm doing that so that you do that for others. So we go down deep, and then he grows us out, and we become a place for people to rest. We are shade. We are comfort. We do all those things in his name. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But to begin, I want to read a story from a book called God on Mute. Um, the author's name is Pete Gregg, and he's a prayer person. I'm not sure. Is that how you call him? He's a prayer person. And he leads prayer movements around the world. He's written a bunch of books, and they're really good. And uh, he tells the story of a person who I think embodies that. That affliction plus the comfort of God grew her down, and then it grew her out. So I'm going to read it to you first, and then we're going to work through the text, Okay. If you want, it's a really good book. This is on page 106. Pete wrote this. Margaret Lee was fair-skinned and shy, gentle yet determined, and though her face was often serious, she always had twinkling eyes. In her gentle Scottish brogue, she told us one day that she had been diagnosed with throat cancer. The cells multiplied fast. A tube was inserted into Margaret's throat to enable her to swallow. When this tube also began to constrict under the cancerous pressure... Margaret chose not to have another one inserted. I'm not scared of dying, she whispered. But I do get scared about the implications once my throat finally closes up. Many people went to visit Margaret, and when they did, they would often express great sadness for her predicament. You've had such a very tough life, they would say. And now this, as if this, by which they meant cancer of the throat, was the worst thing imaginable. Margaret soon got so used to this well-meaning assessment of her situation that she wrote down her standard response on a piece of paper. And Pete says, I think it's probably one of the most courageous declarations of faith in Jesus I have ever seen. This is what she wrote. This is not the worst thing to ever happen. Cancer is so limited. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot kill friendship. It cannot shut up memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot quench the spirit. And it cannot lessen the power of Jesus. She grew down, and then she shared it out. And I read that. I've read that a bunch of times now. How does one say that? How does one live like that? Tim Keller, in a book... We're going to say it's the end too. When faced with affliction, we hear our hearts, the deepest places inside of us, 
that got all of, our, all of our thoughts say, it's hopeless. But Tim Keller says, but we should argue back. So today, we're going to argue back. Okay? That's why at the end, you're going to pray out loud for some people. And we're going to worship on their behalf. Because we are going to argue back. Okay? All right. Are you with me? That's kind of heavy stuff. But here we go. All right, so we're going to work through affliction, comfort, and then uh, our comfort is meant to be shared. So what is affliction? So the second, so, I, you know, one other thing. Um, I need you to be a little vulnerable this morning. I need you to be a little honest. I think the, the trendy word is authentic. I need you to be a little authentic today. So I was trying to figure out how to do that, how to prime the pump for us all to want to do that today, to be, as we assess affliction, because you're going to think about your own afflictions, how do we, how do, we do that? And this morning at about 5.30, I was watching Judd's message from last week. And Judd was authentic at the end of that message. Judd shared his vulnerability with us. And when he shared it, Jesus met him. And so that's what I need all of us to do today. Because I need you to think about the things that have afflicted you. Okay? So affliction, um, I've got some definitions. It means to be in a state of pain or distress or grief. It's inward and outward. So I read a really smart guy who said, most of the things that afflict me in life are my own fault. A lot of things that afflict us start with me. It's inward. But it's also outward. Things come against us that we had nothing to do with. And it it rails against us. So affliction comes from within me and from outside of me. It can afflict my heart, my body, my mind, my spirit. It can, my whole person. It can be oppressive, outrageous, and create a great sorrow. So I need us all to name our afflictions this morning. If we're going to move into the comfort of God, which we'll talk about, we have to understand what has come against us. We have to name those things. We have to realize, how did I respond to those things? And what did I think about God in the midst of it? So there'll be three questions on the screen. I'm just going to give you a minute of silence, which some people, it's kind of uncomfortable, I know. But I need you to think about this. Afflictions could be, a, it's, it's loss, a lost relationship, a lost marriage, a lost friend, a loss of health, lost a person, lost a job, lost a hope for the future, lost capabilities you once had, things you thought were going to happen aren't going to happen. They afflict us. They come against us. I don't respond very well very often to those things. So I need us to think about that this morning, just for a minute. What afflicts you? How did you respond? And what did you think about God? One minute.
Thank you. I think throughout service, Holy Spirit is going to bring that. If you didn't have anything yet, I think things are going to continue to turn. He's going to bring it to your attention. He's going to bring to attention how you responded and how you thought. So we're going to keep going. What I realized as I thought about the things that have afflicted me in life is that the underlying issue for me is that I feel like I had the perception that God was no longer there. When I was in it, I felt like he left me. That's what I perceive. That's how it feels. I don't know what hell is like. But I know that God's not there. I know that people who love him are not there. So affliction can turn me so inward that I lose everyone else. I perceive that I'm all by myself. It's this great quote I heard recently is that the journey to hell is not a downward movement. It's an inward movement. Everything becomes about me. What is coming against me? And I forget about God. I forget about everybody else. And I think I am actually kind of in a sort of earthly representation of hell. That's the danger in affliction. We minimize things. My life's not that bad. They have it worse. So I just don't deal with it. Or I maximize it. And it becomes who I am. It's all I talk about. How dare you try to take away, my, my, my life is so bad. You, your life is so easy. Don't you dare try to take it away from me. We go these extremes and we lose everyone, especially God. And we're left all alone. In hell. But I think that affliction, when coupled with God's comfort... Changes things. It grows us down and then out. So I want to spend a couple minutes on affliction. I already have done, I guess. And then we're going to move to comfort. And we're going to end well. But I think we have to go on this journey together, okay? So the verse that we have for affliction, I think we have a slide for it, which I think might be wrong because I sent it wrong, is he does not afflict us from his heart. It's Lamentations 3.33. So Dane Ortland in the book, if you've been following along, he calls this thought that he does not afflict us from his heart as God's strange work. He calls what he does for us, his love, his mercy, his natural work. That comes from his heart, but somehow there's also affliction in life. And you find it in Jeremiah's writings. There's this weird tension. As I've been preparing for today, I just felt a lot of tension. I'm not sure, in my humanness, I'm not sure what to do with this. And having experienced loss and affliction, I really wrestle with this topic. So I'd say this is, my wife's probably noticed it, it's been a hard week of preparation for me. Because Jeremiah says his natural work, earlier in his first letter he says that uh, I will rejoice in doing them good. That comes from his heart. Doing us good is what he longs to do, it's what he wants to do. But later, Jeremiah talks about his strange work. The Lord says, I will refine them and test them, for what else can I do? So there's this tension in life. What so God does stuff, he, he withholds, I don't know why he withholds, I don't know, I'm not sure what to do with it. Sometimes it may, kind of makes sense to me. Like Jeremiah in this story, if you read the story of his kingdom, which is now in ruins, it's in ruins because the kings were awful people. 
The kings were sacrificing their own children to the gods because they wanted success. They wanted prosperity. They wanted to choose their own way to do their own things. And so they would offer their children to gods to do that. Abominable, awful, right? The streets ran red with, red with the blood of innocent people. Prophets, people who came to say, this is not the way to live. They would just kill them. Innocent people murdered. Then the same group of people rebelled against the kings who put them in power. And so those kings came. And they made an example of them. And they destroyed their city. Somehow, weirdly, that makes sense to me a little bit. You, you kind of reap what you sow. I thought of like Germany in World War II. I think I have a picture of it. Uh, yeah. This is Germany after World War II. So a group of people try to take over the world, kill millions of people. That's what they get. That's my form of justice. That's not the Lord's form of justice. When God talks about justice and judgment, he means to restore things. But this, this is my version. You, know, you made some bad choices. That's what you get. So it kind of makes sense. But then in that same thing, in, in the city where Jeremiah lived, there are also innocent people who I think would, I guess in my, don't deserve to be killed, don't deserve to be exiled. And there's some really incredible people who got exiled, like Daniel, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people who loved God, who even when they got exiled were still for God. Why did that happen to them? There's this, I don't, I don't know. Isaiah says that his ways are not my ways. That's a hard thing to grasp. I struggle with that. What good can come from affliction? What I have noticed in my life, when I have been afflicted, is I get stripped of my power. I get stripped of my control. I get stripped of all the things that I think that I can handle. And in our country, it's really easy when things are pretty good to think I control everything. But when I get afflicted, I know that I am not in control. I become vulnerable. Vulnerable to the idea that there, must, there might be something more than what just I want in my immediate right now. I'm vulnerable to the thought that maybe I need someone else to, to help me do this because I cannot do it. But it seems to happen to me the most when I have been afflicted. A man that I admire said this. He said, affliction enlarges us. When we are enlarged, our heart, our soul, when we are enlarged, we can also better appreciate the other side of affliction. The really good things. The small things. So I just, is anyone else feeling hard, having a hard time with affliction? It's just me? I, th I thought of, uh, you know, when I had to discipline my girls. My girls are three and four. Man, they're fun. I love them. But I have to, I have to discipline. I'm their daddy. I probably should do a better job sometimes. I kind of, I'm kind of pushed over to girls. Sorry, Matt. Watch out. <laughs> but if I, when I, if I discipline in love, when I'm not angry, when I calm down, if I discipline my children in love, they allow me to comfort them after. If they know their daddy loves them, afterwards, I'll say, can I give you a hug? And they'll give me a big hug. They'll give me a kiss. They'll say, Dad, I love you. After discipline, after a hard thing. I, just, I think that's kind of what it's like. But they have to know that I love them. I think, so I think perhaps for some of us today, we have to know, I, I hope it happens to you today. In some moment, you have a moment with God the Father. 
and you experience his love, you have to know that he loves you first. So in the midst of affliction, you can get coupled with his comfort, and it can grow you down, and then out. Because the Father, God the Father, he's the Father of mercies, and he's the God of all comfort. Comfort, the word Paul uses, is paraclete. It's the same word as Holy Spirit. So when he says comfort, what he means is God's going to come alongside you in the affliction. He's not necessarily going to remove you, but he's going to come and be with you in it. Best way I can, I, I don't know if I have a picture of there or not, so if, if I don't, it's okay. Um, stories, we all resonate with stories. So thinking about how the Lord comes alongside of us in affliction and what that does to us. Um, Kelly's dad passed away September 7th, 16 months of cancer. And so we were at the funeral home preparing for a service, and her mom spent a lot of time just standing next to him, just hand on him. And we watched our children try to understand this. These sensitive, sweet little people who seem to know more things about Jesus than God than I do most of the time, I'm being honest. And it's before the service, and Kai went and stood by her grandma, and she grabbed her leg, and she would not leave. For about 45 minutes, she just held on to her grandma's leg. And grandma said, it's okay, you can go. You can go find your daddy. You can go. And she would just look at grandma, grandma said, not say a word, and hold her tighter. I think that's what comfort looks like a lot. We want to hear things, be told things. I think the Lord just, he just holds on to us. And he will not let go of us. So that was an affliction that came from the outside. It just happened. But that's what the Lord looked like coming alongside. What about something that's inward? I thought of, you know, so Jesus, you've been talking about him, he's the exact representation of the Father, right? He, he is who he is in human form. So I thought of this story in the book of Mark where Jesus is walking very early. It's in chapter 1. And a man who has leprosy approaches Jesus. So the leprosy he has is on his skin, but the word means it's not necessarily on his skin. The leprosy is actually inside of him. Something has happened in this man's life that is so bad, so egregious, so painful, that what is inside of him is actually coming outside of him. It's being, you can see it on him. Something is so broken in him. So he's been totally removed from society for maybe what he has done or said and also what's on his skin. He's wholly removed. He's all by himself. He's in hell. And he sees Jesus and he goes to Jesus. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He didn't say you could heal me. He said, you could make me clean. And Jesus looks at him with compassion, which is the same word I think is mercy right here, and says, I am willing. Be clean. And he healed his heart. And then it came, then it came on the outside of him. So I don't know who's in the room. 
I don't know what's afflicting you. It could be something that is outside of you. The Lord says, I will just stand next to you. I'll just be with you. We'll do it together. Or it might be something that's inside of you that no one else wants to forgive right now. And it's so bad that everyone else can see it. The Lord says, I am willing. Be clean. So when we're met with that kind of comfort and love, it grows us down. And our roots get super, super, super deep. Think of giant trees that survive huge windstorms because their roots are so deep. He says, I did that for a reason. It's not just for you, which is how I think of my faith quite regularly. It's about me. He says, I did it for other people. But I need you to share it. So Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians. He says this. I'll read it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, comes alongside us in all of our troubles. So that, so that we can comfort, we can come alongside those in trouble with a comfort that we received. So he's like, I come alongside you for you. Yeah, not just for you. You're supposed to go share this with other people. You know, we're known for our love, right? That's what it's supposed to be. So when Kelly's dad passed away, we let our family know. And I got a message back from my dad to me and Kelly. And he said, you know the way. Go do it. So the comfort we received for many of you, we then got to share with a whole new group of people because of how you came alongside us. So uh, we're, I think the invitation for us today and when we get to in just a moment here is, so we are in, my wife was a representation of God to me in all of this, of his heart for people. And we're in the visitation line, receiving people. And I'm just going to say, so a lot of, uh, her dad was a police officer. He traveled the country, put on uh, clinics for people doing latent prints, fingerprinting. So he's impacted people because he was unashamedly for Jesus all the time. And so people would come forward and they would begin to share what he meant to them. How he was, how they loved him. All, the, all these different, they would just share and share and share. But they would move to the point of vulnerability. You could see it in their eyes. The tears were beginning to come. They were really being confronted with what was afflicting them. They lost their friend. They were going to miss him. And they would, at that moment, excuse themselves. Move on. And Kelly was standing with me afterwards. She said, I just, I just, I just wanted them to stay. I wanted to grab them and bring them back and say, I will cry with you. I want to hear every story. We will do this together. That, I think, is what the Lord is saying to us. He's inviting us into that. Say, there are things in life that afflict us. Lots. That's life. Think of Prince Humperdinck talking to Princess Buttercup and Princess Bride. Life is pain, highness. 
anyone tells you differently, they're selling you something. That is life. But the Lord says, I want to come alongside you. I want to be with you. I want you to do the same thing. But most of us, we, no, no, I'm not going to go there. And then we have this idea of, of this God who's mean and angry and spiteful. And he's like, I've just been waiting for you. I'm just waiting for you. I'm just waiting for you. So you have the band come up. So I think this week, it's pretty easy what we could do this week. I think we all know somebody in this life who is afflicted. How could you come alongside them? A thoughtful meal, invitation to coffee, just a phone call. I talked to one young man who's just, he's just dealing with just, just some darkness. He says, sometimes I just want people to just come and sit with me. Would you do that this week? The Lord wants to grow us down. It's not just for us. And then grow us out. So we can be shade and we can be rest for other people. So the journey to hell is an inward movement, right? We become selfish. So what I want us to do is, I want us to practice not being selfish. So we're going to worship in just a moment. We'll talk about that. But what I want to do here in a minute is I want you to think of someone who's afflicted. And we're all going to pray out loud just for 10 seconds. A simple prayer of, Lord, so-and-so is afflicted. Would you show me how to come alongside them this week? And would you do the same? Because we're all going to pray out loud in church. Just know that everybody's going to do it. So you don't have to be shy. I'm going I'm to mute myself so you don't just hear me. But we're going to do that first. Then I'm going to talk about this next song, and then we're going to do something else, okay? But we're shifting away from ourselves and our affliction towards, this is for other people. He, he's with us in it so we can share. So that's what we're going to do here to end, okay? It's going to propel us out. If we can't do this in here, we are not going to do it out there, all right? We're going to do it here, all right? So on the count of three, person in your mind, just say, Lord, so-and-so is afflicted. Would you come alongside and show me how to come alongside them. That's it. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. That wasn't so bad, right? Would you keep doing that this week? Something happens when we say, we talk, praying out loud. Something about praying out loud. It just changes rooms. I'm telling you, if you ever feel distressed, you're not sure what to do, my wife would tell you, let's just pray out loud. I don't know what happened. So next what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song that we're, I'm super excited about. It's called The Son of Suffering. And what I want you to do next is, so we've prayed for someone. Now I want to lift them up. So I'm going to ask you to stand here in a second. And as you feel prompted in the song, I want you to almost imagine you have this person in your hands. And you're saying, like God, do it. Come alongside them. And if you do this, if you're willing to do this around people you don't know, you will come alongside them this week. I'll tell you that. Okay? 
So we're all going to do it. I, I'm always told I should give introverts a chance to not do things, but I'm sorry, introverts. You can be mad at me later. But we're going to stay. And then the final song is a classic. And once our hands are up, we've lifted them up, then we're going to turn them, and we're just going to worship God because he is a good God. All right? So everybody stand. Get the person in your mind. And as you feel led in this song, I'm not going to make you do it right now. As you feel led, you can leave, you can leave them here. You can bring them here. I hope you put them here. Lift them up. We are singing on their behalf. We're lifting, we're interceding on their behalf. You know, there's this great story of Moses, right, Moses? They're fighting a war, and his arms are getting tired, and someone comes alongside him and lifts up his hands so they can continue to win. You're lifting someone up right now. They might not feel like they can lift their hands. They might feel exhausted and wiped out. They feel defeated. They feel alone. You're lifting them up. They can't do it themselves. You do it right now, all right? Let's worship. Oh, pray. 